Our text today comes from the Gospel of Luke, the sixth chapter, beginning in verse 27. We'll be picking up in the second part of this Sermon on the Plain that Keith began last week when he was here preaching with us. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. I'll be reading this morning from the message paraphrase to give us a new, fresh hearing of these words, and I invite you to follow along on the screens. To you who are ready for the truth, I say this, love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more payback. Live generously. Here's a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden variety sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, you'll never regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people. You'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And oh gracious God, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts as we join together be acceptable to you, God, our rock and our redeemer, the one whom loves. Amen. This past September, my best friend and her family moved to a new house. And so over the week kind of leading up to it, they moved a few things as they had time, you know, chewing the elephant one bite at a time, the whole expression But then finally, Saturday arrived, the all-in day. And so fueled with coffee and pastries, friends and family brought trailers and trunks and loaded all the rest of the stuff, all the big furniture and every little thing that was left to bring, like the frozen pizza rolls in the freezer and the potted plants on the porch. Tonight was going to be the night that they lived and slept in their home for the first time. And with three little kids, top of the priority was setting up their beds and making sure the windows were covered. 
And so before Nana and Papa could install the new blinds, those windows had to be cleaned. So my friend gathered her Windex and her rags, and she set to the task. Well, not long after she she got started with that, her little shadow, newly three-year-old daughter, came into the room and saw what Mommy was doing and wanted to do the same thing. You see, in her youth and innocence, washing windows looked new and exciting and fun. Now, my friend, in that moment knowing the very growing to-do list for the day and the dwindling daylight hours could have shooed her away or redirected her. But my friend remembered that she valued the family they were producing over the home that they were possessing. You see, she valued producing a family that works together, a family that honors what every member brings to it, even when it's imperfect, a family that teaches responsibility, a family that does what's right even when it's not easy. And so my friend pulled this step stool up to the window and her daughter put her little puppy with the pink sequin bow purse over her neck and shoulder and stepped up there, grabbed the spray bottle and helped her mommy make this house a home. And it was so precious. Of course, I had to grab my phone and take a picture of this moment which was a good thing because in less than three minutes, she was gone. She and the puppy purse went on to something that was easier and way more fun than washing windows. I don't know what that could possibly be. Sometimes following Jesus, for me, is the same. I'm a little shadow. I want to do what Jesus does. I want to go where Jesus goes. I want him to put a step stool there and teach me. And then in three minutes, I'm out because it's harder and not as fun as I thought it was going to be. Jesus asks a lot of hard things of his followers. And none have the distinction of being titled the hardest, but I think today's text could compete for that title. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. These words from today's passage just might be the most radical, the most outrageous, the most essential things that Jesus taught us. In our text today, Jesus is teaching to the crowd on the plain or the level field. Most certainly, his disciples and closest followers are there listening and helping, but also among the crowd are the distressed and the disregarded. The people that are gathered in multitudes desperate for hope and healing. The people that Luke's Jesus was very concerned and passionate about. They've just heard, prior to this, Jesus speak a powerful and prophetic word about what the kingdom of God or the realm of God is like. The text that Keith preached on last Sunday. Blessed be the poor, the hungry, and the abused. Woe to the rich, the satisfied, the comfortable. Not because of those things, not because of them, but because of what they can do in our life. For God is a God of those who have nothing but God. And standing there among them on this level plane, Jesus announces this new upside-down kingdom already near, already breaking through into this world for those who are ready to listen. And Jesus directs those next words to those who say they want to be his shadows, say they want to go where Jesus goes and do what Jesus does. 
They want Jesus to pull up the step stool and invite them. And Jesus pulls up the step stool to the window of this new kingdom to teach them what we do with enemies when we're a member of God's family. And it was shocking. It wasn't anything like they expected to hear. You see, the crowd crowd that was gathered that day most likely thought of at least one specific group when Jesus said enemies. And it was a group that Jesus was also thinking of when he said this to them, the Romans. Rome was a dominant political factor in the world. And although the Jewish communities might not have seen a Roman on a day-to-day basis, the Roman power, the oppression of that, was certainly felt throughout the region. And it impacted day-to-day life for them tremendously. And the crowd that was gathered that day knew well life in the kingdom of Rome and earth. And loving your enemies was not part of it. Be on guard. Watch your back. Love only those who love you. Do good to only those who do good to you. Give to only those who can or will repay you. In this earthly realm, it's a quid pro quo world. I do you a favor, you do me a favor. In this earthly kingdom, it's an us-them world, and we look out for us. Now, in Matthew's gospel account of this very same sermon, Jesus acknowledges those earthly ethics and challenges them by using a repeated phrase, you have heard it said, but I say. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, Do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your cloak, coat, give them your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Jesus gave several clear examples of how ideally Jesus' followers ought to act and respond when confronted with their oppressors. Turn the other cheek, don't hit back, give in abundance and generously. All of these practical examples to deal with enemies that he mentions are examples of this nonviolent, non-retaliation behaviors towards another. You see, Jesus is calling them and us not to react, but to act in the ways of the new kingdom. A few months ago, a well-known political figure questioned Jesus' command to turn the other cheek, stated to a crowded gathering that he understood sort of the biblical reference and the mentality of this teaching, but that this teaching had gotten them nothing. Well, the reaction was swift by some media outlets, but he is actually not alone in this sentiment, if we're honest. It was voiced by the disciples as Rome's oppression intensified. It's been uttered on both sides of the political aisle, in boardrooms and offices, among justice seekers and locker room pep talks, in the White House and in our houses and in our very own hearts. I mean, won't we look weak if we love our enemies? Won't people treat us like doormats if we let them get away with abusing the system or mistreating us? I mean, won't we be considered the fools and the pushovers if we turn the other cheek? I mean, Jesus, really, does anyone live like this? Yes, Jesus says. Someone does. 
Toward the end of our text today, he repeats again, but love your enemies, do good and lend, expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he, for God, is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as our Father is merciful. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. God is kind to ungrateful people who abuse and take advantage of God. God is full of mercy for people who center things on themselves and make it all about themselves and wanting all the glory. God loves our enemies and has given everything for them too. German pastor and theologian Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote this in a sermon. The cross is not private property of any human being but it belongs to all human beings. It is valid for all human beings. God loves our enemies. This is what the cross tells us. God suffers for their sake, experiences misery and pain for their sake. The Father has given his dear Son for them. Everything depends on this, that whenever we meet an enemy, we immediately think, This is someone whom God loves. God has given everything for this person. If we think that following Jesus' command to love our enemies is a path to becoming weak or a fool, we might want to think carefully about what we are inferring about God who loves our enemies. Would you prefer God only love us when we love in return? God only give to us when we can return the favor? God be faithful to us only when we are faithful first? I don't. As author Brendan Manning said, we are all beggars at the door of God's mercy. And when God generously dishes out mercy to us, I am willing to bet that no one looks up at God in response and says, you're so weak, God. You're such a doormat, Lord. What a fool you are, God, to fall for this one again. Instead, our prayer is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Why love our enemies? How do we live our lives responding with grace and mercy rather than words or action that just adds more hurt and pain to a world and relationships already drowning in hurt and pain? According to Luke, Jesus says that followers of Christ must remember how God responds to us. To be God's children means we relate to others as God relates to us. And in remembering and giving thanks, we respond to others as one beggar at another at the door of God's mercy. On August 9th, 1993, 31-year-old lady named Sophia White burst into a a hospital nursery in L.A. with a 38 caliber gun. She had come looking for a nurse there called, her name was Elizabeth Statton, and she accused her of stealing her husband. She went into the nursery and she fired six shots, hitting Elizabeth in the stomach and in the wrist. And Elizabeth ran out of the room and Sophia chased her and they went towards the emergency room and she fired another shot. And in that emergency room, standing there with blood on her and this gun still hot from shooting, an amazing thing happened. She encountered another nurse. And this nurse, Joan Black, 
did something unthinkable. She went over to this woman, to Sophia, and she embraced her. She hugged her and she spoke comforting words into her ear. And the assailant, through tears of anger and frustration and hurt, said, I don't have anything. She's taken my entire family. You're in pain, Black said. I'm so sorry, but everyone in this world has pain. I understand, and we can work through this. She continued to hold her with her finger on the trigger. And at one time, Sophia even reached the gun up as if to end her own life. And Nurse Black just held her arms down and held on to her. And after a minute or two, she relinquished the gun to the nurse. After that, when a reporter was interviewing her, Black said, I saw a sick person and I had to help her. What if we were able to see our enemies as those who are in sick and in need of compassion, even if it's not visible to us? What if we remember the times that we've been sick and angry and hurt and Jesus embraced us in compassion? In that same sermon on loving enemies, Bonhoeffer said, who would be worthy of love? Who would need our love more than the one who hates? Who is poorer than such a person who is more in need of help, who is more in need of love than your enemy? Have you ever looked at your enemy in this way, as the one who is basically, who stands in front of you, poor as a beggar, and who asks you, without being able to say it himself or herself, help me, grant me the one thing that can still lift me out of my hate, grant me love, the love of God, the love of the crucified Savior. Indeed, all threats and all showing of fists stem from this poverty, and at its root is begging for the love of God, for peace, for neighborliness. You repudiate or reject the poorest of the poor when you repudiate your enemy. When we dehumanize and demonize enemies, we actively work against the kingdom of God. God isn't asking us to agree on everything, but God is commanding us to agree on at least one very important thing, that whenever we meet an enemy, we immediately think, this is someone whom God loves. God has given everything for that person. God loves our enemies, and we are commanded to love them too. The world sees this as weak. The world says this way of living has gotten us nothing. Jesus says, you have heard that said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. There are multiple words and sermons left to be spoken about loving your enemies and what that means. That love is a verb and not a feeling. That love can mean boundaries and endings. That love is actually working for what is just and right and all the things that are valued in God's kingdom. But if we don't start first with why we're commanded to love our enemies, if we don't begin by acknowledging the 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 image of God in everyone, then we will fail. 
You see, Jesus is producing a new kind of family. A family that works together, a family that values what each member contributes even if it's imperfect, a family that does what's best even when it isn't easy, a family rich in mercy and forgiveness, a family that hurts when one is hurting and rejoices when one is rejoicing, a family that doesn't eat unless everyone eats and all are welcomed at the table, a family that chooses love over hate. Jesus has pulled up the step stool to the window for us and invites us to join him in creating this world God dreams for us. Some days, we're gonna take our puppy with a pink sequin bow purse and leave because it's really hard and it's not easy. In so many ways, friends, we are like the toddler learning to walk in the ways of Christ like the video before the sermon. We fall down. We stumble, we take our toys and go home, but we keep trying. We keep trying, holding on to Christ and to one another as we learn how to walk as Jesus has taught us to walk. We ache to shadow him and that we trust that Jesus will never command anything of us that he does not also make possible. Here's the thing, don't even try to love your enemy on your own. Obeying this command is not something we can do in our own power. It is only through Christ. And so as we go, let us think about this understanding of a new way of living as an overflow of God's generosity and mercy to us so that it may overflow from us to those around us, even including our enemies. Compassionate God, we are so conditioned in our humanness to respond in kind to the world. We're so worried that when the reckoning comes, we're going to find ourselves left with the short end of the stick. We hear that message all around us, and it's hard not to listen. And not without reason, God. Our enemies take and lie and oppress seemingly without consequence sometimes. And we confess that it's hard not to react in kind. But merciful God, you challenge us to love our enemies, to forgive, to bless those who curse us, We want the easy way, but you have asked us and given us the hard path, knowing that it is what we need, and it will send us to you. And so grant us peace and endurance, Lord, as we journey with you. Allow ourselves at times to stumble and to give ourselves and one another grace as we learn to live into the hard way of following you so we might experience your love and your grace and your peace in this world by also becoming a people of love and grace and peace in this world. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.